notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. Wow. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So I think it's important that we look at fear. I know there's a lot of definition for fear. There's also 113 entries in the big book on, on fear. So. Mm. I think there's a lot to be said about that. So let me just run through a couple of them just because I think um, agitation, alarm, anxiety, dismay of anticipation of or in the presence of danger, pain, disaster, negative imagination, dread, apprehension, the emotional inspired by what arouses one's deep respect or uh, reverence, fear as in fear of God. This form does not appear in the big book, though, by the way. It didn't talk about having fear of God in there. But... So fear has a lot of definitions, man. So honestly, when we say that we have 100 forms of fear, we can absolutely agree to that. Hmm. Oh, and, and last thing down there. So um, it says fear ought to be uh, classified with stealing. So a guy told me once, he goes, uh, isn't stealing a conscious decision? Yeah. Hmm. So is fear probably a conscious decision? Maybe. You know, lack of faith. Maybe I'm not doing something. Maybe I'm taking, not taking an inventory. I have no more excuses in my life. I was driving out this morning about 4.30 a.m. headed to Indiana, and I got a couple of things that are fear of the unknown or fear of losing something I already have or fear of not getting something that I want is usually how those are classified. And on the way out there, I was, had fear of losing something that I already had. And this thought was like it, it was blocking me from God. And I realized I just needed to shut off the radio and be quiet. And it solved my issue because within, this is just how it worked for me today. What happened for me, then my email went off. I looked at it, I glanced at it on I-80. And then when I got to my customer, it was some other customer that I hadn't done business in a long time because of something. And it was like, oh my God, I have nothing to fear. God has never dropped me on my head. It'll all be fine as long as I have faith. Hit the floor every morning, feet first, not head first like I used to. Feet first, get on my knees. Ask God to keep me clean and sober, direct my thinking, and the rest of the day, just be as honest as I possibly can and try to do God's will in all my life. I have nothing to fear in this world. I mean, it, it's just, this program is absolutely amazing. Living two lives in one. That life I lived before I got here and the life I live now, I wouldn't change that for nothing. It is just the most miraculous thing that's ever happened, not only to me, but everybody I get to come in contact with. I get to put a smile on other people's faces. I get to be come home and they know that I'm a responsible person today. I'm not going to harm anyone in my family, like, you know, steal money out of the checkbook or any of those other things. Like this just integrity is part of my life today. The whole thing is just amazing how big it gets. And I've only brushed it. There's so much more if I just let him. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. Okay. Telling us again how we do this. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them, right? This is a separate inventory, same approach. We asked ourselves why we had them, 
wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps so, the, oh, well, I was getting my thoughts. So that's the how and why of it, actually. So why we had these fears is, and how we got them is self-reliance failed us. That's how I got those fears. I, I brought these things onto myself. Um, I can't feel, oh, the fear problem is I can't f feel fear unless there's a threat. And uh, what's in the third column, but self-esteem, so um, my security, my ambitions, my personal sex relationships, which I found on page 65, that's where my, I can't feel them. I can't feel fears away from me. I, I have to inventory these things and I have to share them with someone else. I just, and then God removes them. It's just, it's just that clear. I don't have the power to, it's just like God gives me, uh, sadness is a, a God given uh, uh, emotion. I, have you ever tried to just um, get rid of sadness? I, I can't do it on my own. I can't think it away. I have to, you know, it's so easy to get to the steps and sometimes it's not, or I can make, pick up the phone. I have so many running buddies in this program and I can pu get pulled out of those things and I can certainly go to prayer over them. Things. Perhaps there is a better way, right? So better way than self-reliance. Mm -hmm. We think so. For we are now on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. Our finite selves. Finite means limited, guys, right? So we tried it. We tried based on our limited sel selves, our, our confidence, our reliance to not be scared. Didn't work. Opposite of limited, endless, right? Endless God is going to help us. Yeah, infinite means unlimited, never-ending, without limits or boundaries. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, capital H, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Or stuff promise. You know, that's like hitting the snooze button, even though I know I shouldn't do that. And then I run out the door and I get a flat tire on the way to work. Now I'm really going to be late. But I can match that uh, um, with serenity, that calamity. Because listen, I'm not late all the time anymore. It's mm. a, it was an error, it just happened. I, I, can, I can just take a deep breath and go, hey, things happen, it's okay. And when it says that um, we're in the world to play the role God assigns, if we go back to page 63, uh, I'm sorry, page 62, where God is our director, he's our principal, we are his, he is our father, we are his agents and his children, Director is someone in charge. The principal is first in order. And an agent, a person who acts on behalf of another. I'm going to act on behalf of God. That is really amazing to me that he's going to use me in that manner. And a father is a, is, uh, a man in relations with his, with his natural child. God has no grandchildren. We are all children of God. And I did, he is in charge of my life now. I am not running my life. Remember in first step, my life is unmanageable. I have to continue to remember that stuff. In the, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it, 
page 43, 44, and, and a little bit on page 52. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. That is At a prayer. once. It's a prayer. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. That's a promise. It's a promise because we've listened and analyzed it. That becomes a promise. Now about sex. So inventory number three. Many of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow, no, uh, would allow man no flavor for his fare and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We wanna stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. And at the very bottom of the page, the last line starts with God alone can judge our sex situation, right? That's why we're not arbiting. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? So if sex is a problem in my past, inevitably it'll be a problem in, in my today or my future. I have to be aware of them things. It's just not, it's not, I'm not getting uh, some big guy in the sky with a big beard and a cane isn't going to take his, his cane and wave it over me and it's all going to be gone. You know, when we get into this thing next week, because we're getting on top of the hour here, but uh, the example, and I'll give it again next week is flirtation and all those other things that I do is also part of my sex history that I have to put on paper. You know, if, if my wife were to follow me around all day long, would I be as flirtatious as I, I am sometimes? The answer would be no, right? That's dishonesty. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. There's a lot of questions there that we're asking ourselves. And, and they all go in our columns, all those things. Columns two, one, two, three, and four are all listed there. Are we gonna, we're almost at eight o'clock. Should we stop there or you wanna- That's a good spot. What do you yeah. wanna do? Sure, we can stop here. Okay. Yep. Questions before we pray out? Anybody questions, clarifications, and anything we covered tonight? 
68, where it says now about sex. I can find it on this. Now about sex. Most of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? So, so here's sex what is a problem in, in my past is going to be a problem in my future. It's real clear on that. And if that's the case, what is blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit is my my desire to change one addiction for another, you know, and it's not a healthy thing. I'm trying to live my life honestly. It's real clear in the first uh, page of how it works, how many times that they use the word honest. I mean, this program has to be completely honest. My fourth step has to be completely honest to my best ability. You know, something that we read about um, a couple weeks ago on page 65, which is the diagram of, uh, of um, how we make out our inventory, uh, resentments, the cause of my effects. When we look at Mr. Brown, I just want to make this clear because I, I, I made, I've made this mistake with my sponsees before um, going through these inventories. This is not a revisit of my past, uh, reliving my past. This is me writing down to my best ability. And the reason why I say write down what just comes to mind and briefly write it down. Don't, I'm not making an essay out of this thing. If we look at Mr. Brown, that first um, diagram there, it's 19, letter, 19 words. That's it. You know, think about my attention to Mr. Brown. What, I'm resentful of Mr. Brown because his attention to my wife. They told my wife, um, told my wife about my mistress. Brown may get my job at the office. So these are things. I'm, and you ever seen that T-shirt, by the way, that says Mr. Brown needs his ass kicked? That's a pretty. Oh, <laughs> There's a T-shirt out there like that. But, I'm in. Yeah, right. I'm wearing that T-shirt. <laughs> I'm not writing a book here. I don't need to do that. I just need to get this stuff down on paper because really what I'm looking for is to look at what my defects of character. Understand from the doctor's opinion all the way up until we get to the sixth step, they're setting me up for those two paragraphs. That's all they are. Six and seven are paragraphs. They're setting me up so I can see that my defects of character and be willing to give them to a power greater myself. I don't have to have a lot of information. Yes, I can go to the 12 and 12 anytime I want to, but there's no directions in the 12 and 12. The book has the directions on how you stay sober. So I'm just preparing myself by reading all this material so I have a better understanding of why when I get to six, I'll be prepared for six. All right, I will read on. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So these are the questions we're asking as we look at past relationships with anyone. Okay, selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, 
suspicion, or bitterness. More questions. <laughs> Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? So this is where we're starting to try and shape that sane and sound idea. We got this all down on paper and looked at it. Okay, so what we're getting down on paper is who, where were we selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Who did we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, bitterness? Manipulate, maybe? <laughs> where are we at fault? So we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at, and it's really easy, especially in relationships, to look at what the other person did wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is where we're turning it back on ourselves. Where was I at fault? Okay. So we get it down on paper and look at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? And that's a pretty basic question, right? Was it selfish or not? Uh, uh -huh. We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. So I, I like that earlier paragraph where it says we reviewed our conduct. So I was very confused when I read this and it's probably not my sponsor's fault, my first uh, four step that I did, but I thought it was a sex history. I thought it was about everybody I ever had sex with that I was supposed to put on this paper. This is about my conduct, you know, uh -huh. because if you're going to tell, if you say sex history, sorry, but I just picture the act. That's what I picture. Uh -huh. and that's not it. You know, that is not it at all because it is me being flirtatious in the office. If I'm looking at porn for 20 minutes, two hours, if these things are dishonest and they're affecting other relationships, I have to be honest with myself that I have to stop this behavior. I don't have the power to do this. See how it's getting ready to set me up for that fourth column and allow me to be willing to let go of these shortcomings and six that God is going to remove from me because I don't have the power to do that. I don't behave that way today. I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and this is something, again, these are not my ideas. These are things other people share with me. But when I'm with, I, I work with a lot of people all day long, women and men, and um, I have this thing where I just have this, I need you to like me. It's just who I am. I need you to like me. And I'll be in someone's office having a, a, a conversation. And if I become flirtatious, the easiest way for me to stop that behavior or being aware of that is just pretend or think that my wife is standing over my shoulder. Would I behave like that for my wife? I need to change that behavior. I need not to act out like that anymore. I, I, I'm not that, I don't want to be that person any longer. There's a lot of death threats in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I don't change, the, if I don't write, get these on paper and be willing to let God take them from me, I will drink again. That is a life or death. That is a death threat. I, I, I don't take that lightly. I think one of the reasons it's important to look at this, though, the, the sex history, is that intimate relationships are like a microscope on our character defects, you know. I might want everyone to like me, but if I'm in a relationship, I need you to like me, you know. And we put so much weight on that. And, and it says things like, where have we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Well, selfishly, I'm in this relationship because I need someone to stand next to me, <laughs> you know. I don't want to do this life thing alone. What's dishonest about that? I'm not paying attention to who you are at all. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to turn you into what I need. And, and so many times we get into relationships that way. And it really highlights all those defects of character. And the stuff we talked about in the third step where we're each the actor trying to run the whole show. You get two people in a relationship doing this and it's going to get ugly. 
and and I don't know about you guys, I've done that a lot, you know, where where everybody's trying to manipulate and get what they think they need out of this relationship. But this is where it really shows up big. But a lot of those same things, you know, I'm doing on a smaller scale elsewhere, you know. I can be dishonest at work, you know, because I really need to to keep this job or whatever. I get very manipulative. So can you guys see can you see what, what we're talking about here, what we're getting at? It is like David said, it isn't just about the sex act, it's about how do I how do I deal in relationships? And the closer the relationship is, the more important it is for me to keep it or to manipulate it or whatever. You know, that's where it's hardest to change. So, okay. Uh, da -da -da -da. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. You remembered, I read this already, didn't I? <laughs> you remember it always that our sex powers were God-given, therefore good, good neither breath. to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Okay? Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. So it says to me, we go back to all our exes and say, gee, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, because a lot of times we'll use that to manipulate, too. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Uh, in other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. So, Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. Excuse me. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done, and we have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are the facts of our experience. So, I'm a, okay. go ahead, Nancy, please. No, I, I was just going to read some more. You have oh, something to say? Go ahead. Yeah, so like in the beginning, that first uh, on the pages of the top 70, he says, God will be the final judge. You know, by now I know the difference between right and wrong. You know, and I know that I have a God and creator in my life today. I know that I'm under the guidance of that. And I know the difference between right and wrong. If I'm acting out, have underlying motives for why I stay after a meeting and visit, or if I'm visiting with a woman in the shop a little too long or in an office, I understand today why I do the things that I do. In the next paragraph, it says, there's a condition here. If we are sorry, if we are sorry, we need to be sorry here for we are, what we have done, we have the honest desire to let God take us to better things. We believe uh, he will be forgiven and have learned our lesson. So that is a promise, but here's a negative promise. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. That is a death sentence. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So that is a negative promise. There's plenty of positive promises throughout the whole book, but that is a negative one today. That's a promise that that will happen for you if I'm not sorry. I think, too, and I heard a speaker talking about this. One of the things we have to consider, she said, you know, this book was written in the 1930s. They're not talking about sex as a verb, you know. We're looking at what kind of woman do I want to be? 
What kind of man do I want to be? You know, we tend to look at relationships and we make this list of who do I want to find? And we give absolutely no thought to who I want to be. And to me, this is a good opportunity to look at that. What are the characteristics I want to bring to every relationship in my life? You know, things like honesty, things like consideration, compassion, um, you know, whatever it is. And we can look at some of these characteristics. That's the sane and sound ideal that we're looking for. It's not, you know, I'm only going to have sex with one person at a time. You know, it isn't just about that. It's about what kind of person do I want to be? And sex is a place where, you know, we can manipulate it, girls, right? <laughs> it works. <laughs> we can work it. And God, I've sponsored a lot of women. And a lot of times we use sex as currency. You know, if, if I have sex with you, you have to love me forever. You know, so these are some of the things where our thinking really gets twisted. And as soon as we start calling something relationship, the expectations go off the charts. It turns into something else. It, it, it's manipulative. It's dishonest. It's whatever. It's all those things we've talked about. So this to me is a good opportunity to look at who, what is the kind of person that I want to be? Okay. All right. All right. To sum up about sex. We earnestly play, pray for the right idea, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. So there's a prayer there, right? We earnestly pray. This is the third time they brought prayer up in this thing already. So obviously, sex is going to be a problem for us. This is the third time that they brought it up. And uh, helping others is 12-step work. This is a way for me to take me out of the equation and be of service to somebody else. I can't think of, of me when I'm helping someone else. Well, I, I actually probably can. I probably have a, Good try. have an honest underlying motive, <laughs> if that makes sense. I want to see you succeed, so you give me some acknowledgement that I was present while you're succeeding. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's this... I'm telling you. Go ahead, Nancy. Yeah, okay. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, and that's all three sections of it, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So um, so let's look up the word uh, futility. I think uh, I need to know these definitions here. Uh, futility is uselessness, pointlessness, something done of no use or value. And then uh, fatal. uh, fatality is fatal. Yes, it is. It's deadliness. Yeah. Uh -huh. you bring about death or disaster. Uh -huh. yeah. And boy, we've had that. And then the promise that we have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for, for we look at them as sick people. And that's definitely involved in the prayers that we have about our resentments. We're beginning to see that these other people, the people who have harmed us are perhaps spiritually sick too. We ask God to grant them the same tolerance, pity, and patience. We give a sick friend. 
that's where this is coming from. So this is just kind of reviewing what we've done. Yeah, and then the willingness to straighten out the past is our ninth step. Yep. Well, the eighth step is actually the willingness part. Ninth, we actually have to do it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad there's a whole step for willing. <laughs> All right. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you've already made a decision, step three, and an inventory of your gross or handicaps, that's step four, you have made a good beginning. That being said, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. All right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so the first step, we see no progress as far as it's just a diagnosis, right? Second step, there's a solution, but really no recovery yet. Third step is, is the first step in the recovery program of action. But just the beginning. The fourth step is our first personality change that takes place. This is the first real work that I've done so far. That just sums it up for me. Mm -hmm. So we finished our fourth step. Mm -hmm. Now we're in action. Okay.